Let's pause for a word of prayer. Father, these words are poetic and wonderful and probably for many of us familiar, and, uh, and yet they contain some, some difficult truths as well as, long, as well as some very enlightening, helpful truths. I pray that you would expose those who you have brought here tonight to both of those truths and ultimately to your truth through my imperfect and feeble lips that you might be glorified and that they might be edified. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when my, uh, my kids were little, I would frequently run into older parents that had gone through the experience before of raising children, more experienced parents, and without fail, they would say something to me. I mean, almost every time as we talked about raising children, they would say at some point in the conversation, I know it seems hard right now. And I know it seems like it's going to last forever. But the time goes so fast. Treasure this time you have with your kids. And of course, at the time, nothing could have seemed further from the truth as it seemed that, I mean, we had two little boys under a year and a half old, two babies. It seemed like we were constantly juggling dirty diapers, working insane hours, and just trying to keep the kids alive. And if we did, by the end of the day, we were like, success, they're breathing still, hooray. And it seemed like it was going to last forever. It really did. But now I can tell you, 12 years later, my kids are 13, 12, and 6. I'm starting to get there. I'm starting to sound like that guy. When I run into kids with babies, I'm like, oh, it goes so fast. I've got a 7th and 8th grader. You just don't know. And that, uh, that sense of running out of time of time sort of chasing us, running on a schedule, having to catch this train or that bus or this ferry is a constant here in the city, a constant. We're always aware of time. It's a daily reality we cannot escape from. So the author of Ecclesiastes in the passage wants to tell us how it is we ought to live in light of it. In light of this sort of pressure cooker, time. What can we do with it? And the first thing he says is, is frankly, he says, well, you should prepare if you're going to live within time to embrace change. That's really what the first eight verses, you know, I mean, the song you've heard before from Bob Dylan and the birds and I think, actually, it was Pete Seeger, Bob Dylan, and the birds, but uh, to everything there is a season, turn, 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 you know, that, that, uh, that comes from Ecclesiastes. It's very familiar. Uh, but the point is that no matter what kind of season you're experiencing in your life right now, uh, the preacher can guarantee, and the preacher is the author of Ecclesiastes, can guarantee you that it will change for good or for bad. Here's how he says it politically. 
For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted. And we can go on, but you've already heard the passage. His point is clear. Be prepared for seasons of change. Now, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're walking in here with tonight. But I think this truth that things are going to change is especially helpful for those who struggle with depression or maybe even suicidal thoughts at times. Because when you're in it, when you're in depression, when you're in that low, it feels like it's not ever going to change. It feels like it's never going to get better. But as cliched as it may sound, yes, they do. And sometimes rather quickly. I saw a brief documentary the other day uh, detailing people that had attempted suicide by jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge, but had survived. And in these interviews with these people that had tried to commit suicide, uh, they said that on their way down, as soon as they jumped, they thought to themselves, I wish I didn't jump. So they can remember thinking that as they were on their way down. And of course, most people don't survive that jump. They did. But... It just goes to say things changed dramatically, quickly. But this, this truth is important for you who are sitting here tonight that may feel like things are going just great too. And everything in between. Because it is just a guarantee that you will be challenged. You will face hard things. And you may feel like giving up at some point. Otherwise, you become like the group of crucified men in Monty Python's Life of Brian that decided to whistle and sing, always look on the bright side of life. It doesn't work when the nails are in your arms, and it doesn't work to just pretend like everything's going great. You have to acknowledge, yes, it's coming, it's hard. There is difficulty. I know there's plenty of Christian preachers out there that will tell you that if you just have enough faith that none of that stuff will come, and that everything will be peachy keen and roses and bubblegum, or unicorns and rainbows, whatever you prefer. But the preacher says here, no. There's going to be hard times. And prepare for that too. I heard a new phrase this week. I, you know, you've, have you heard the phrase, uh, the, the, I guess the title, helicopter parent? You know, the, the parent that's like hovering over their kid all the time. Well, I heard a new one that's maybe even a little bit more in-depth this week, uh, known as the lawnmower parent. Has anybody ever heard of the lawnmower parent? When I heard the lawnmower parent, I was like, so is that just the helicopter parent that gets so over their kids that eventually they chop them up and kill them? Like, what is the, like, what's the deal with the lawnmower? I really didn't know what the lawnmower parent was. And what it was, at least according to this person, is that the parent, this is the kind of parent that doesn't just hover over the kid, but goes before the kid and cuts all the grass to make sure that their paths are always clean and nice and easy. And so it goes beyond the helicopter parent. And of course, the terrible thing about that, like when you try to make your kid's life everything smooth, is that they're not prepared for when it's challenging, for when they get out to the world and they go to their first job interview and they're not impressed with your lack of a resume. Or they're not impressed with the fact that you went to such and such a school. They just don't, it's not a big deal. You realize you're not all that special, even though your parents told you all you, you always were, when you start getting out into the world and you see, oh my gosh, there's a ton of special people. It's like that uh, 
phrase from the first movie, uh, first Incredibles movie, when uh, oh, what's his the, the Speedy kid? I forget his name. Flash. Yeah, so, you know, his mom says, uh, well, we're all special. You know, everyone's special. And he says, that's just another way of saying nobody is. And so the preacher wants us to be aware that no matter who we are, that both experiences will exist in the same life. That there's, and there's really nothing we can do to control it. Like, there's a lot of this that's just totally out of our control. Like that. So then what? Well, the preacher, the preacher says, enjoy the moment. That's his answer. Here's how he says it in, there, in our text. Verse 12, I perceive that there is nothing better for, for them, for mankind, than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in his toil. This is God's gift to man. So in light of the fact that everything can change in a moment's time with no warning, stop dwelling on the past, stop focusing too much on the future, and just enjoy today. When it comes to dwelling too much on the past, we can get so hung up on what could have been that we can't enjoy life now. I can't help but think of the you know, stereotypical aging high school football player that was really great his senior year and almost made it to the championship who still sits in a bar 30 years later and tells the stories of the championship game that he almost won. My life would have been totally different if I had just won that game. Or the person who's constantly looking back to the, quote, good old days, whether of our country or of their family or whatever it might be. When we're tempted to dwell too much on the past and what was, you know, nostalgia's a liar. It is. Nostalgia lies to you. If you don't believe me, um, just watch some of the old shows that you think are great in your mind. You go back and watch them years later and you go, oh my goodness, this is not good at all. For me, it was Dukes of Hazard. In my mind, Dukes of Hazard was a great show. And then I watched it as an adult and I was like, how did this get past one episode? This show is terrible. Nostalgia lies to you. It tells you things about the past that aren't true. Ecclesiastes 7.10 warns us. It says, do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is unwise for you to ask this. On the other hand, and this is where a good number of you are at tonight, you can get so focused on your future, and especially trying to discern what God's will is for your future, that you can become paralyzed in the present. So, what I'm about to say may blow some of your minds a little bit, uh, but stop worrying so much about what God's will for your future is. I'm not saying don't pray about it. I'm not saying don't ask. I'm saying stop worrying about it. I've had so many conversations with people over the years that have been paralyzed by trying to figure out what God's will is for their life. Am I supposed to marry this person or should I not? Am I supposed to go here or should I not? And, and you know what? Um, most of those things you have to just sort of make, make wise decisions about. This is where the Proverbs come in. This is where Ecclesiastes comes in. It's called wisdom literature for a, for a reason. There's not going to be a specific verse that says, Eric, you need to go to Hawaii, spend 3.2 years there, make sure that you earn this much money. There's no verse. And there's no verse for any of you that gets that specific. It doesn't exist. All we have are principles to go by, and then we try to live wisely in light of that. 
It's true. And I think sometimes uh, we, can, we can overdo it and, and end up making some really bad decisions. I'll give you an example from my own life. When I was 20, uh, me and a couple friends had become convinced that we were called to start a painting company. Now bear in mind, I had 0.0% experience painting anything. Nothing. Neither did one of my other friends. But one of our friends did. He, he was into painting. And he felt that he had a vision that told him that we were supposed to start a painting company together. And so we started looking for confirmations of this vision. So we would sort of look for, you know, numbers that lined up in a certain way. And if they did, we'd go, that must be confirmation. That must be God's hint that he's trying to tell us we should start a painting company. And, and then we'd look for, you know, if one of us had a dream, we would interpret it, you know, together. And be like, oh, that must, I think that means, what do you know? We should start a painting company. And so pretty soon we all psyched each other up into believing this thing about the future, trying to figure out what the future was for us. So much so that I literally, I mean, I was, I was bought in. I, I quit my job. I was working at a hotel at the time as a shuttle bus driver, and I walked in to my supervisor and I said, uh, God told me I have to quit. I have to go start a job painting houses. I don't have to do an impression of the look that was on her face when I told her that, do you? I mean, do I? It's, I mean, it was... Oh, okay. Okay, you go do what God told you to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and long story short, it was a terrible idea. It went nowhere. I mean, and, and all of us realized very quickly that this was, this was not the right way to go about making decisions for the future by just sort of grasping at straws to try and figure out what God's will was. And so I went and eventually went back to my old boss with hat in hand and begged for my old job back and she was gracious and gave it to me. The point of me sharing that is that so often we can get stuck on the future and what it may hold that we forget to enjoy the moment we've been given right now. And we can really, frankly, make some bad decisions as a result of it. So the author says, do good. Enjoy the taste of your food. When you're eating it, don't take it for granted. Enjoy that steak or the vegan equivalent. Enjoy that drink and the satisfaction that comes from a hard day's work. I mean, what, that's enjoy. Enjoy today. Thus, the preacher urges us to in the midst of that, just accept the mystery of God's rule. So you have, first of all, him saying, accept that there's going to be change. Second of all, accept that, you know, there's, there's, going, to be, uh, there's going to be some difficulty along the way. You know, look, don't try and figure out the past or the future. But then, thirdly, accept the mystery over God's, over your life, of God's rule over your life. People always say God works in mysterious ways. I mean, I'm sure you've all heard that phrase before. Usually, I think they mean it positively. I think they mean, you know, God works in mysterious ways. But it can also be really frustrating, too. I think it expresses the view that the preacher has in our text. Since we can't change the past and we can't know what the future holds, we simply have to accept 
the truth, as frustrating as it may be at times, that God is somehow in charge of this, that there is some sort of method to this madness. And here's why it can be frustrating and why it's so hard for, accept, to, for us to accept this truth because of what verse 11 of our text says. It says that God has put eternity into the heart of people. What does that mean? Well, I think it means that he's made us with an inevitable sense that we're meant to live forever, that we're not supposed to be bound by the limits of time, but he continues, yet... He has placed this eternity in our hearts in such a way so that we cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. In other words, he's saying this is the great tension that we live in in time. We know we're made for eternal things, but we're stuck in this finite space. We want to make sense of the story of time, but we can't quite do it, and it causes us to stress and fret and wonder if there's any meaning to these moments of mystery at all. So a friend of ours gets hit by a car on the way home from a party that we were just at together, and I'm never going to see him in this world again, and I try and make sense of the mystery, and I can't. Someone who you just know is corrupt to the core, ends up seeming to get ahead, scot-free. Justice never seems to prevail in this person's life. If we can't figure out what God's doing, the preacher says, you have to embrace the mystery, the tension. Now, it's really easy for me to stand up here and tell you that. Just embrace the mystery, man. Hey, bro, just ride the wave. Fact is, it's a lot easier said than done. I think if we're going to have any success at being prepared for change or enjoying the moment or embracing the mystery, fact is we need to know one more crucial fact from our passage. I would dare say the most important fact from our passage that can easily be overlooked. It's a little statement right at the end. At first it sounds sort of repetitive, like we've heard this before. It's at verse 15. It says, that which is already has been. Ooh, okay, that sounds true. I think that's a repetitive statement. That which is to be already has been. Oh, so this is him saying nothing ever changes. Okay, nothing new there. We've gone through this before, preacher. Ah. But then he says at the end, something different. He says, quote, and God seeks what has been driven away. Now, what does that even mean? Commentators and scholars differ in their opinions about how to interpret it, but, but here's what I think it means. I'm going to take a stab at it. I think the point of this last snippet is to remind us that in all of life's up and downs, in all the moments, in all the mysteries we encounter, God is never far from you. Indeed, God is actively involved in what's going on here, seeking that which has been driven away. Indeed, that is precisely what the Gospels go on to tell us God is doing when he comes here in the person of Jesus Christ. 
I love the story of Zacchaeus. Some of you might be familiar with it. On one occasion, Jesus walks into this town and Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, the person that no one liked and everyone had a problem with. I mean, everyone really had a problem with. This chief tax collector was a thief and had been extorting money from people for a long time. And you would expect Jesus being the Messiah, being holy, being good, when he came to town, would have some sharp words for the villain. But instead, he comes to this villain and says, I want to have dinner with you. I want to, I want to hang out in your place. And the town is beside themselves with the seeming unfairness of it all. I mean, if you're God in the flesh, you're a God of justice, why would you want to hang out with that villain, with that sinner? I mean, Zacchaeus was the dude with the black hat and the twisty mustache. He was the villain. Why are you hanging out with him? And Jesus says words that define his mission. I hang out with sinners because the Son of Man comes to seek and save the lost. There it is. You want to learn how to accept change? You must accept that the God above time is broken into time to save and seek you, the driven away and the lost. You want to know how you begin to enjoy the moment? Accept that this God loves you so much that every moment of his life leading up to his crucifixion for your sins was lived seeking and saving you, the lost and the driven away. You want to know how to embrace God's mystery in time? Accept that this God has not ultimately left the nature of the universe a mystery, but has declared that soon and very soon, he's coming again to break into time, to bring heaven down to earth for the lost and the driven away. So yes, things change. The past is the past, and the future we can't control. I was just, I was literally just wrapping up right now. It's perfect timing. But the truth is, in the midst of this time, God is going to bring it all to a culmination in the end. And we look forward to that day. So let's pray. Father, thank you that ultimately you're governing time, that you're not bound by it like we are. That gives us hope. If you were stuck in time, then we would have no assurance that you actually were ruling over this place. On the other hand, if, on the other hand, if you weren't a God who is near and comes to us in time, then we would have no assurance of your love and your care for us. So help us cling to you, the God who is both above and near. We ask this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.